Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Did you know that there are one or two places that I'm banned from going? Now, it's not official, but Sarah has banned me. You see, one place in particular uh, is the Ideal Home Exhibition. We went there once and it was like Santa's Grotto. It had everything. And I was mesmerized by the sales demonstrations. I kind of really got caught up in their sales talk. That if they asked a question, I just shouted out the answer and it was great fun. Everything they were showing was what I realized I needed. And the salespeople knew this too. And so they focused their attention on me. And then to be honest, I couldn't let them down by not buying. And there was these uh, simple Diablo that, you know, that you just had to place on the hob to make these gorgeous cheese toasties. Mops that made mopping easy. And then there was this mandolin that sliced and shredded vegetables so easily. And the food section, oh, the food section was unbelievable. You could, you could sample sausages and cheeses. It was like heaven. And the only part that was annoying was that Sarah was with me and she kept saying no and that I didn't need it. Now, I was allowed to buy one or two things, but once they were home, to be honest, they weren't quite so exciting. So the Diablo here hasn't been used for years and I use the mandolin just very occasionally just to stop Sarah from sending it to a charity shop. And I've also discovered that normal sharp knives can also slice vegetables, which involves a lot less washing up than the mandolin. Now, I wasted my money at the Ideal Home Exhibition, I know that, that these items though had such a strong emotional appeal to them. I say that because we all have something in common, that our worst decisions in life have been fueled by something with a strong emotional appeal. It could be a relationship, a holiday, a website, it could be a betting game or that lease that you took out. And the reason that you made that decision or those, de- those series of decisions is that uh, it had a strong emotional appeal. You wanted it. And maybe others could see that it was a mistake, but, but you couldn't because you were caught up with it emotionally. And our emotions cause us to do some pretty crazy things. You know, the reason that you and I have regrets in life is because there was something on the path that had strong emotional appeal. Uh, And then, well, and then something happened. It lost its appeal and we end up saying, what was I thinking? It was so appealing at the time, but it lost its appeal and we're left with regrets. You know, for some people, what began as appealing ends up as being a prison or a pathway that's been hard to get off because it's led to a habit that's hard to break or an addiction that you've struggled with or a relationship that's just really hard to get out of. And if only it was as simple as saying, let's not do that anymore. (laughs) The thing is, is that those things get our attention and they pull us off track always having this strong emotional appeal to them. So how do we handle that? Well, the title of this series has a promise built into it, The Beginner's Guide to Predicting Your Future. And it means that we believe we can predict our future. And how is that possible? Well, it's because of a principle that we've been looking at throughout this series. And it's the, well, go on, you can say it, it's the principle of the path that the principle of the past says that it's our direction that determines our destination. 
And so the best way to predict our future is to pay attention to the path that we're on because a path will always lead us to a destination, regardless of our intentions. And as we said in week two, there's often this disconnect between our intentions and our direction. And direction trumps intention every time. You see, the principle of the path says that it's direction, not intention, that determines our destination. And this is why Sarah used to freak out about who our kids were friends with, because a parent can see the direction our kids are heading. Parents know that it's not about now, it's about where it's leading. So parents end up asking awkward questions and teenagers end up grunting and not wanting to answer because they live in the now of what feels good now and parents tend to see where the path is leading. Now, of course, parents don't always get it right, but they see situations from a different perspective and with a protective aspect at heart. And in the same way, your heavenly father doesn't want you to wake up in some place you don't intend to be, whether that's financially or relationally, academically or emotionally. So this is a big deal and it's worth looking at. The power of appeal is so strong. We're faced with it all the time that the path that is to be avoided, you know, whether it's financial, relational, whatever it might be, is always paved with something with strong emotional appeal. It's newer, it's faster, it's bigger. And sometimes you hear people say, why is everything that's bad so appealing? Why, you know, why does McDonald's appeal so much more late at night when it's not good for our diet or our digestion? You know, why does the latest iPhone or Garmin watch appeal so much and becomes a must-have purchase? Why have Amazon done so well throughout lockdown? Well, because of the emotional appeal of the products and the feel-good factor a box brings when it arrives next day. Regardless of the cost financially, it's our kind of our pick-me-up. And the big thing is that these things aren't bad. In fact, they're good. It's just that these things aren't enough when it comes to making decisions in life and choosing the pathways that we choose. You see, shiny new things and appealing things do two things to all of us. One, they lower our defences. And secondly, they raise our defensiveness. So our friends or family might come along and say, hang on, don't you see where this is leading you? Don't you see where your finances are heading? But, but nope, no, we don't listen. We can't listen because confirmation bias kicks in. And confirmation bias is that I see what I want to see and I hear what I want to hear. And anything that confirms what I want to do, I see and hear. And any information to the contrary is ignored because it's hard to see and hear. Listen, if anyone has your best interest at heart, whether a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or parent, and they raise something that you get defensive about, you need to pay attention because maybe the power of the appeal has blinded you and you're missing something that you can't see. But they can because they're not emotionally involved with it. We need to pay attention. Now, Paul, a Jesus follower whose life had been turned around by an encounter with Jesus and who wrote large parts of the New Testament, talks about this situation, this dilemma, this struggle that we face. So he wrote about it 2,000 years ago in a letter to a group of Christians called, uh, uh, found in a place called Galatia. And he writes in Galatians 5, You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. 
Now, this is amazing because if your version of Christianity isn't freeing, you have the wrong version. If you turned your back on Christianity because it wasn't freeing in the past, well, perhaps you had the wrong version. And I would love to invite you back because Paul goes on to say, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Now, your sinful nature is a Bible term that's just another way of describing those appetites that make you want to touch and taste and see and feel, you know, that elicits desires inside of you that leads you down the wrong path. He says, don't allow that dynamic to feed your impulses because that's what gets you into trouble. And here's why. Because if you say yes to every temptation, every, every desire that elicits in you, you're going to lose your freedom. And not only will it hurt you, but it will hurt other people too. So Paul says, you're free, but don't use your freedom to harm you or others, but put your freedom to better use. So he goes on to say this, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And then he quotes Jesus himself. He says, for the whole law, that's all 613 laws in the Jewish law, but also includes laws generally. He says it can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this is at the heart of the New Testament teaching. Embrace this as a lifestyle. Put love at the center of everything you do. Because love says that if it's not good for you, I won't do it. And actually, if it's not good for me, I won't do it. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and Jesus took this to another level when he said, love each other. And just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Paul goes on to say, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Now, in other words, don't allow your appetites to guide you because that leads to disaster. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. And how does he do that? Well, the best way I can describe this is God nudging us or prompting us towards others first. That God will always nudge us towards sacrificing for the sake of other people. And if we do this, if we allow the Spirit to guide our lives, he says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You won't follow through on selfish desires, on quick fixes that, that don't satisfy. You'll not act on what you see and hear and what you want to touch and taste. Why? Because you've decided to go with the prompting and the guiding of the Holy Spirit that always puts others first and other people's futures fear first. But Paul isn't finished. He goes on brilliantly and he says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And this is our experience every day, isn't it? This is the battle that goes on within all of us. You know, I ought to do this, but I want to do that. Interesting, isn't it? The ought and want are in conflict. And if only I wanted to do what I ought to do, life would just be so much simpler. But that's the battle that we face. That's why emotional appeal is so strong, even when it leads us down a path that can cause so much pain and destruction. To recognize the conflict at work in us, which is warring in us, is so important because when we encounter a strong emotional appeal, whether it's towards a person, a new job, a big purchase, we need to see it as a red flag, not a green light. 
In other words, we need to slow down. We need to step back to listen to God's prompting, even to listen to others who don't have that emotional connection in order for us to make wise decisions. And Paul says that when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. Well, of course we're not, because the law is summed up in what? In loving others. And we instinctively know which path to choose and which path to avoid. We do, because Jesus' one command brings us back to asking the question, what does love require of me? What's the best, most loving way to respond in this situation? What does selflessness require of me? And if it's not good for me, why would I do it? Why would I buy it? Why would I lease it or date it? (laughs) You know, if it's not good for others, why would I do anything to hurt them? And then Paul spells out the desires that we have that leads us down a destructive, regret-filled life. And he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he says, it's having affairs, it's sleeping around, it's watching porn, it's making stuff have higher priority than people or God, it's dabbling with Ouija boards, it's falling out with others, it's holding grudges, it's gossiping, it's, it's talking behind people's back, it's getting drunk. It's ridiculous, but all these things have strong emotional appeal at times. And in my dark moments, these appeal because they're so self-centered, you know, having an argument to prove that I'm right, uh, or the excitement of an affair, or drinking too much, or getting what I want, or wanting what others have. And none of these things bring about a desired life. No, they just mess up life for me and for others. So let me tell you again, uh, as I have before, that Anyone living that sort of life, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, we're going to miss out on so much. And what are we going to miss out on? Well, another way of asking is this. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? And Paul gives us the answer. He says, but the spirit, that's the one who nudges us and who wants to guide us, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And the outcome of saying yes to God is exactly what you're after in your life. It is. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's who you and I want to become. It's who we want our kids to be, our future spouse to be. This is what God has invited us into. And who doesn't want these attributes in their lives? I mean, He goes on to say this, that there is no law against these things. And this is brilliant. What Paul writes here is so good and true. What he's saying is that against immorality, against drunkenness, against outbursts of anger and lust, you have to set up laws and restrictions because if you don't, people will self-destruct. You know, we'll become addicts to the wrong things. And so we have to have these safeguards, these laws. But when we embrace the one command and really love others, you know, we put others first and love as Christ has loved us. The results are are these and, and there are no rules against these. You know, we never have to turn around in the car and tell our kids to stop being so kind to each other. Just pack it in. And we never have to, I never have to tell Sarah to tone down on her faithfulness towards me. And we don't ever have to speak to parents when homeschooling and tell them to dial down on the patience levels. They're just being too patient. No. No, you see, this is the invitation Jesus calls us into. And we can't overdo 
any of these. We don't need laws for any of these. They're so beautiful and so freeing and so powerful. It's a life of one rule and no regrets. And why wouldn't everyone choose that? Why resist that? You see, the best way to predict where you're going to end up is to pay attention to where you're headed. So let me ask you, have you become enamored with someone or something on your path that you have failed to recognize where the path you're on is taking you? And have you lowered your defenses and elevated your defensiveness? And if so, then you need to take note. You need to pay attention to this because they may be saying something helpful. And are you willing to change paths? And I hope and, and our heavenly father hopes that you will opt for satisfying over appealing, that you'll follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and embrace the life Jesus calls us to. Because honestly, there is nothing more free and more life-giving than that. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find the next step, give financially or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.